Thank you for tuning in to Cobblestone Community Church's podcast, where we are taught by the Word and led by the Spirit. I hope today's message encourages you and challenges you to draw nearer to Jesus. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Tim Moore. I'm one of the uh, elders here at Cobblestone, and I'm happy to uh, be able to share with you this morning what the uh, Lord's put on my heart. Uh, before we do, we have some business to tend to with little ones. So where are our little ones at this morning that you're, oh, they're geared up and ready to go. I can see some bouncing in the seats, arms raised. So uh, little ones, if you are heading back to family ministry today, and also leaders too, we need you, um, go ahead and head back there. Uh, they are ready for you guys to have your time back in the, the other wing. So um, I love being able to be a part of that ministry as well. And I can assure you that uh, both me personally and the elders collectively, uh, we believe firmly that God's doing work just as much back there during this time frame as he is right here. So praise the Lord for that, that it's not just within these constructs and these walls, but he is a God who uh, goes beyond age and goes beyond location. So as we enter into uh, getting ready to hear what the Lord's put in my heart, uh, let's pray for uh, our little ones, but also pray for our time here. So, Father God, uh, we thank you this morning. And we pray this morning, as we just sang, that in our lives you be lifted high. And, Lord, this morning that we're going to talk about finances and money and, and the things that uh, are, are relevant in this world, and it, the world gives us a different message than what your word gives us. And, Lord, we, we just pray that in our lives you be lifted high in all areas, in all things. And Lord, we just ask that you be with the children, be with the leaders back there, Lord, uh, that they just are sensitive to, to be able to hear your voice, uh, that they get into your word, and that seed just be planted on their hearts, Lord. And I just pray for their time and our time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, this week, uh, if you were in our reading plan, uh, we had quite a few scriptures that went through uh, what the Word says about finance. And this is actually the last week uh, here in the whole month of May. We have collectively gone through a series on basically real life or, the, or you know, real life situations, you know, pertinent topics that we need to dig into the Word of God and what it teaches us on some very sensitive and real topics. I'm going to go ahead and ask... You don't need to do it. I'm just going to ask. If I asked you for every week that we've done, who here could recall the last three topics other than this week? Anybody? A few? All right. So I'm going to give you a reminder in case you missed a week or uh, it's just not in your notes right now. So we started the month and we talked about marriage and divorce and relationships. Uh, we then moved into gender and sexuality. Uh, and then last week we talked about conflict. And now today... We get to talk about finance. And the great news for you is that you don't have to sit here and you're not going to listen to a presentation on Tim Moore's budgeting principles. It's not what we're here to do this morning. I assure you, you can ask my kids, that conversation is quite boring and not very fun when they see me get the computer out with my Excel sheets and I start talking about different things that they should be budgeting, very quickly they lose interest. It's not a fun topic. You're also not going to listen to a plea from the church treasurer 
on how we need to increase our tithes and offerings and the importance of tithes and offerings, although they are important. However, we will be passing around a special offering plate at the end of the service. I'm just kidding. So, no, what we're going to talk about this morning, I think, is a little bit more fundamental. We're going to talk about what's fundamentally different between what the world teaches us in regards to finance and money versus what the Word of God teaches us about the same. And I believe that one of the base differences with finance is the question, what is the central focus of our finances? How do we view money? And what role or motivation does it have in our lives? Do we find peace when our financial situation is meeting our goals and objectives? And on the flip side of that, do we have fear and anxiety when it's not what we want our finances to be? The reality is that we don't need to look very deeply to see that the world will give you a message regarding finances that it's all about you. If you look at all the money that's spent on marketing via different platforms, radio, TV, online, billboards, anywhere, you can see that a company's going to get a message in front of you that it's all about you. Advertising and marketing companies are focused on telling you that their products will meet your self-satisfying desires. Whether that's happiness or comfort, excitement, relaxation, peace, contentment. I mean, all you got to do is look at the, the cost of advertising on the Super Bowl, right? It's millions of dollars to get their message in front of an audience. You can fill in any topic that the world desires. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again this morning because it's pertinent to our topic. But this world will tell you that you need to focus on your accumulation and your accomplishments. That's where your worth and happiness will come from. And that directly relates to how the world views finance. Earn more. Do whatever it takes. Sacrifice whatever it takes for that title, for that promotion. Buy the thing you can't afford. Just charge it. The size of your house, the type of your car, all those things will make you happy. You need to do these things. You need to buy these things. You need to take care of yourself. There's a cycle here in our culture. It's an underlying message that if you just made just a little bit more, if you just made another five, another $10,000, that life would be perfect. Your budget would balance. You'd be content. But then you see you make that additional money and you discover all of a sudden it's, it's just gone. Where did it go? And then you naively think that if you made just a little bit more than that, that everything would be fine. And then after you make that additional money, you discover that it's all gone. But you never stop to think about it, and so you just keep going after more money. i got to earn more. i got to do more. Because you think that's your problem. You just think that with a little bit more money, Somehow you're going to get to a place that you'll be content. But that never happened. So why is that? It's because we have an endless capacity to want more. So for most of us, the issue isn't an income problem. I said to somebody this morning, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you how you can, 
you can earn more money. You know, great strat- strategic ways to, to earn more money. That's not what I'm here to do. Because making more money might seem like the answer, but it rarely is. So why is that? Because the more we make, the more we spend. And the more we spend, the more we want. So we get into that vicious cycle that I was talking about. So how many of us are tired of that vicious cycle? How many of us are tired of that merry-go-round? We're, we're tired of stressing about money, about finances. And we want to look at a different way of approaching this. Well, the good news is that Jesus shares with us a different way to approach this. Jesus said that he came that we might have life and have it to the full. Now, full life does not mean that we'll be rich. Sorry to disappoint that this morning. It doesn't mean that we'll have every one of our wants and desires. A full life does not mean that we'll never face challenges. But it does mean that we will live a life with less stress and more freedom. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's my heart's desire for you. That we can give our lives a little less stress and a lot more freedom. So the first step towards less stress and more freedom with your finances is this. And it's quite simple. Put God first. Put God first. That's the first step. We're going to get into Matthew 6. And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and start turning to it or open your apps and everything. But we're going to look at Matthew 6. And most of the time when we look at the teachings of Jesus in regards to finances, we tend to look at just verses 19 through 24. But as we look at these verses, I also want to look at a beautiful connection there between verses 25 to 34. And the key thing is that it's impossible to properly understand Jesus' teaching on worry in verses 25 through 34 without tying them tightly to Jesus' teaching on money. Jesus' teaching here is not about worry in general, but it's specifically about the worries that will likely ensue if we adopt his plan for handling our finances. So let's begin to read Matthew 6, beginning of verse 19, and we're going to read through 34. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, 
by being anxious can add a single hour to his lifespan. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Those two sections that a lot of times in our, in our, in our Bibles, if you look at them or even on your apps and everything, those two sections seem to be separated, right? That's the way our eyes read it. It's, this is the teaching on money. This is the teaching on worry. But there's that connector there. In the version that we read this morning, it's the therefore. In another, in another translation that I was reading, it says, that is why, right? Those two, there's a connection between them. And we can't dismiss it because Jesus' vision for our, for our financial lives is revolutionary. It's contrary to what this world says. It will require a totally different view of money, where we invest it, and how we spend it. He's calling us into a life of using our money to expand the kingdom. He's calling us to put our money where salvation is by investing into the kingdom and believing it's the most important thing that we can ever share in. Furthermore, he actually says that if we joyfully invest in that kingdom, then we'll live in joyful dependence on God to care for our needs. Knowing that that likely will create anxiety and worry about not being in control or in charge of our money, Jesus goes to great lengths to address that. And to explain why this dependence can be joyful and not stressful. But the hard truth is that verses 25 through 34, not being directly related, can't be connected unless we choose to live out these truths. We can't connect those two sections unless we choose to live out the truths. To ask the Father to reduce our worry about finances when we refuse to heed Jesus' call concerning our finances is conflicting. That's, that's conflict that a lot of us have. We don't want to heed to how he says to use our money and to how to prioritize our money, but we say, Jesus, let me not worry about money. That's a conflict that we have in our own lives. So I said I wasn't going to give main points, but I have five main points to what this is actually going to look like. So what does it look like for our lives to mirror Jesus' financial vision day in and day out? So what are the specifics on how we flesh this out in our everyday lives? The first main point is this. It all starts with the desire to invest in Jesus' kingdom instead of ours. We have to look at the desire. We have to come to a place where we show with our wallets and not just in what we say. That the kingdom of God is the most important, most eternal, most worthy, most wonderful thing 
going on in earth right now. If we truly believe that, our hearts will rush at the chance to invest in what God's doing. Proverbs 3, verses 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats with bursting with wine. There it is. Very clear. It's the calling to honor God with our wealth, with our finances. It specifically says with our wealth. Not just words, not just actions, but in this case with our wealth. We should probably begin with that simple understanding. God provides every penny, every quarter, every nickel, every dime, every dollar. God provides it. No matter how that comes to you. It's all income and it's all received to us, so it all came from him. So you might ask, why does God need my investment dollars? The truth is, he doesn't. He doesn't need our money. He's got all the resources in the world. But still in his providence, he's chosen to let us participate in what he's doing around the world. Not only with our words and actions, but with our money. So point one was it all starts with the desire to invest in Jesus' kingdom and not ours. Point two, that desire develops into a focus of wanting more glory for God instead of more stuff for me. Our ultimate goal in this life is supposed to be to give glory to God. When we're considering specifically where we should spend our money, invest our money, the simplest answer would be anywhere where it can bring glory to God. Some examples there, seeing churches expand, seeing children's hearts touched, seeing people's bondage broken, seeing the gospel preached. One of the beautiful things that I am so thankful that this church does and I get to participate as as part of leadership, but you know, also being the treasurer, I get to see the beauty in this, is we as a church, and I hope many of us know, but if you don't, the first thing we do with all the money that you guys give to support the church, 10% of it goes immediately into missions. We tithe immediately as a church off of your tithe. Why? Because we believe firmly that that's first things first. We want to see the gospel go and be shared into all the ends of the earth. We want our money collectively as a church to give glory to God. And the thing is, this is where it could get dangerous. This is where we can start going down a path that quite honestly I think is unwise and legalistic. And what I'm talking about here is we, we real quickly, we want to start putting putting parameters around this, right? We want to think very legalistically about what's an appropriate lifestyle for a Christian. The problem is there, we can start to judge each other on it. You can very quickly get into, it's okay to own a Toyota, but not that Audi. That speaks to me because that's where I want to, that's my car. If, I, if the Lord ever blesses me, I just, I'm going there. But right now, 
I'll keep driving my Honda Civic. It's, it's a reliable car. It's good. But real quickly, you, that, you get my point. We can go out in the parking lot right now. Which ones are acceptable? Which ones aren't? It's okay to have a three-bedroom house, but not that four. And all of that legalistic nonsense can just become divisive. The point of this whole thing is not to set absolute income parameters around what every Christian must do. That's not what we're here to do. Too often our financial question is, how much can I afford? A far better question might be, how much do I need? And the thing is, as we begin to reframe our mindset, as we begin to kind of downsize our lifestyle piece by piece, all of a sudden we have more availability, more flexibility to do kingdom work, to give generously to kingdom work. And our biggest want slowly becomes wanting to give more glory to God and not just gather more stuff. Point three, that focus, that type of focus on our finances, it can create worry or fear in our hearts. Not only can it, but it more than likely will. Hence why Jesus goes right into that teaching. All of this about living generously for the kingdom, some of you might now, you're probably in your seats going, man, that sounds fantastic. Just give me that extra 10 and I'll live generously, right? But in reality is, this is where we begin to, to see a bit of a disconnect. It sounds fine in the abstract, but concern may begin to arise when we think about the fact that we got bills to pay, we have kids to clothe, car payments to make, Starbucks to buy. But it's here where we might start to check out. That's nice from a vision perspective, but it's just not practical. That's why Jesus goes immediately into discussion about worry and our worry and anxiety in trying this different approach to finance. Multiple times throughout the scripture, he says, don't worry, do not worry. He's saying this because he knows that we will. And he wants to explain to us why his vision will actually reduce worry, reduce stress, and not increase them. But most of us tend to worry when we're not in control. Most of us will tend to get anxious when we aren't in charge of something. Because we live in a world that says we need to look out for number one. We need to look out for ourselves first. Because if we don't look out for ourselves, no one will. That's the world's message. And the thing is, we see all the things that God's done in the past. And we believe it. At least we say we believe it. Yet something in the back of our minds says, I'm going to be the first one. I'm going to be the first child of God to ever be forgotten by the all-knowing, all-powerful God who lied when he said that he would provide for me. That's being real. Those are the thoughts that, that truly go into our mind where it's like, I believe, but not for me. I don't believe that if I live that lifestyle financially that he's going to take care of me. Because that's what you're saying when you let worry begin to consume your thoughts and your actions. That's what starts to take over. 
You say that you believe in God with your words, but your actions say differently. Your actions say God is not able or God is not aware. Which leads us to point number four. That concern is only answered in entrusting our finances to the Father. What we're doing in effect is choosing to surrender. We're choosing to surrender the job of providing for our financial needs and giving it to him. We're taking away that responsibility, that ownership saying, I have to provide for myself. No, 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 he will. He does. We've been handling it ourselves. And Jesus says, give it up. Give it up. All of this is tied to us living with the desire to invest in the kingdom. So how specifically can we worry less when we turn these money issues over to the Father? So we say, okay, I'm going to entrust it. How do I worry less? And that's point five. Entrusting our finances frees us to concentrate on two things. How can I participate in the kingdom of God expanding in the world? And how can I grow deeper in trusting God with everything? Jesus tells us what we are to do in verse 33. And it's a powerful verse. You need to memorize this verse. It's actually, for those of you who are going through the reading program, this is actually our memory verse for the week. Matthew 6, 33. And every time you feel yourself starting to worry about something that you can't control, that you can't own, that you can't manage, you have to say, I will seek his kingdom, and his righteousness first. That's my choice. When worry starts to bubble up, when anxiety bubbles up, I will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But what does it really mean to seek his kingdom first? Every decision, every one of them, that you have to make ought to be prefaced with the question, what will the implications of my decision be? What's going to be the implications of this decision? Will it draw people to the kingdom or away from the kingdom? Will what I do bring people to Jesus or away from Jesus? And that that should guide your decision every day in your home, your work, your school, your everything. Every decision. We're not just talking finances now, but every decision. Whatever I say, whatever I wear, My hobbies, how I drive, what I watch on TV, what I listen to on the radio, the friends I have, the car I drive. What does it say about my relationship with God? Can I do this thing? This is what we should be thinking, meditating on. Can I do this thing at the same time lead someone through the gospel? Seek first his kingdom. So I want to pause and repeat on that. This decision, this thing that I'm doing right now, can I do it and still lead somebody to the gospel? But also seek first his righteousness. Seek first what God says to do. Seek first what pleases God. Do what he says. This is key here. Not what you want him to say. Not what you would say if you were God. Do what he says. 
And here's a real simple way of knowing what God wants. It's simple to know what God says is right and just. You read it. This is what we've been talking about all month. You read it. Read the word. Pray over it. Meditate on it. Put it in your heart so that you know the truth. The Bible is clear. As faithful followers of Christ, we must allow God to transform us, to change us, to change our nature, our personality, our thoughts, our actions, our reactions. We cannot remain as we were when Christ enters our life. This is true of how we spend our money as well. And I want to be, I know some of the kids went to the back, but got a lot of teenagers in here. This is true for you. This isn't just that I'll, I'll honor God with my money when I'm older and I've got that job and everything's good and everything's safe and I'll do it then. No, this is for everyone. You need to begin to shape the habits of obedience to Christ. All ages, seek first Him. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by the testing you may, be, you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. There's a transforming. There's a changing. We must choose and we must be committed to prayer. We must be committed to the reading of the word and that our relationship with Christ is the top priority. Andrew talked about that a few weeks ago. It's, you know, yes, we have relationships with our wives, our children, everything, but if those go over in priority, our relationship with Christ, it's out of order. And so today, I'm going to ask an honest question. We're going to ask it through the lens of finances, but this is a broader question. Is God really your top priority? Or is there something or someone that you prioritize over him? Only you know that. You know that. That's between you and God. Is he your top priority? Or have you put something or somewhat over him? Will you make God your first priority? Jesus called the first disciples near the beginning of his ministry in a region of Galilee. And Jesus gave them the simple, simple request of follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And this invitation was given by Jesus to four men in the fishing business. And depending on what translation you're reading, it's going to say at once or immediately. They dropped their nets and they followed, right? So what did they give up? What did they give up at that question or that invitation? They left their nets, they left their boats, they left their family, they left their business, they left their livelihood to follow Jesus. Wow. So what does it mean to leave everything? It means being available to leave whatever you're doing to obey Christ in everything. It means being available to leave your work, to leave your dreams, 
to leave your ambitions, to leave your possessions. It means giving priority to Christ's commands and dropping everything to obey him. It means placing all our money, all our assets, our gifts, our talents into his hands. And the thing is, that's going to be a process. I've, I've shared before, and I'll share again, that when God was preparing me personally, um, I, our family collectively prepared to, to, to move to Nicaragua in 2016, but I can tell you that call happened a lot earlier in my life than that. And I remember distinctly in regards to this, I've always wanted, I grew up in a very, I was blessed. My, my dad provided well for the family. You know, my, I learned that in perception of him that a dad did certain things financially. Like you provided this, you did this, you did this. Like that's what he did. For those of you that understand the, 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 the five love languages, he's a gift giver. That's what he does. He's a generous man. So I grew up with that being my mindset. I needed to be able to do this for my family. I needed to put them in a house like this. I need to give them this. I need to do this. Like that was my checklist. And several years before God called me into the mission field, twice it happened. Once, I'll share the one time with you. I was out on a run. And actually, I was out on a run out in New Jersey. And I was just listening to, a lot of times I listen to worship music as I run. And I pray and I worship. And distinctly, in the middle of that, I heard the Lord's voice and he asked the question, will you sell your house to follow me? Clear as a bell. Will you sell your house to follow me? And I have to tell you that my initial reaction, of course, being the strong Christian that I was, was, of course, God, I will sell my house and follow you. And then I felt that check. Will you? But I can tell you I wouldn't at that time. Just being honest and standing before you today and confessing, I wouldn't at that time. But God, knowing my heart, was preparing me for that day that he actually said, sell your house and follow me. So I give you that story to tell you this, that God's going to be preparing you for whatever he has in store for you. And he may be putting something on your heart right now. Will you give this to me? And you may not know why he's asking for that, but that's not necessarily for you to know right now. What he's seeking for, what he's searching for is that level of obedience, that level of commitment to go, I don't want to, but I will. Because I'm gonna seek you first. I'm gonna full in, trust you. I'm gonna be obedient to you. Because nothing or no one is to have priority over obedience to the master. There's no such thing as cheap discipleship. Following Jesus comes at a price. And that price is denial of self. We can see this demonstrated in, in an encounter that Jesus has. And we see it in the Gospel of Mark. And if you want to turn to Mark 10, we're going to look at that encounter in verses 17 through 22. We have it up here as well. So beginning in verse 17. And, he was, and as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. 
Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. I want to be very clear what I'm saying here. I'm not telling you all to go home, sell everything, and give it to the poor. Like that's, that's between you and God, the practicalities of it. But what this, this, this encounter shares is it tells of a young man who came to Jesus with a question that no, that no doubt this question had been going on in his mind for a very long time. In fact, it says that he came running to Jesus. Can you imagine seeing that rich young ruler just running to Jesus? Can you picture that? He had long been searching for eternal life. He had money. He had power. He had influence. But he did not have the answer to that burning question in his heart. How to find eternal life. And I think it's important that we look at that verse. It says, how do I inherit eternal life? He wants to know for himself. To him, this was an urgent situation. I often imagine him being this this young man just running and looking for that one thing, that one thing that he had not acquired, that one thing that he knew was the most important thing that he could acquire. And he wanted it. And here's the thing. In Jesus, he saw the solution. He saw the one man who had the answer that he needed. And he knelt. Kneeling or getting down on one knee, two knees, whatever, it indicates this reverence, this respect, this submission. And he kneels. And then comes the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then Jesus comes with a statement. Not an answer, but a statement. He says, you know the commandments. And as I looked at that scripture again while prepping this, I got to thinking, Jesus intentionally wasn't giving the answer at that point. You notice he doesn't say, well, here's the answer, or this is the one thing you must do. Because that's not really where the answer lies. It's not just in following the rules. Because that's what the Pharisees tried to say. They made salvation and serving God all about keeping the rules. Because the way to heaven isn't about just keeping the rules or being good. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man gets to the Father except by me. That's the answer to eternal life. It's a relationship with Jesus. But see, that's where Jesus was going with the rich young ruler. Because to have a relationship with him means more than just knowing his commandments. To have a relationship with Jesus means putting him above everything else. And that means, quite honestly, forgetting what we want. Being willing to put aside our goals, our dreams, in favor of serving him. The rich young ruler had all the knowledge, the understanding, the laws of God. But he had a first love issue. 
He had a first love and it wasn't Jesus. It was his possession. And Jesus knew that. So when the rich young ruler asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus reminded him of the commandments. And when the young man said, in essence, oh, that's easy. I've got that. I've kept all those since I was a kid. Jesus then decided to just zone in then. We see this time and time again on Scripture. He says, give up what you love the most. But he didn't want it bad enough to give up his toys and his possessions. He didn't want it bad enough to give up his money. And the Bible says he went away sorrowful. He now found out what it took for him to inherit eternal life. He had the answer to his question. And he couldn't handle it. It meant having to give up something that he simply just didn't want to give up. I really wonder why he wanted to hold on to his money so bad. Why that change of like urgently looking for Jesus. What do I need to do? Earnestly looking for that answer that he's given the answer and he's like, oh, not that. Why, did when he, why would he want to hold on to his money so badly? I believe it came down to what instead of who he placed his faith in. And you see, that's where fear and doubt show themselves. Fear and doubt were revealed in this young man's heart. I can't give up my possessions or money. I have to hold on to these things because they bring me peace. They bring me comfort. They bring me joy. The rich young ruler heard the call of Jesus to go Sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. He heard it, and he didn't believe it. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And I can just hear the rich young ruler thinking, but what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't have treasure in heaven for me? I've got this right now, right here, my little box, my comfort. I've got this. I, what if he doesn't do what he said he's going to do? But you see, that's where faith comes into play. We have to trust that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he says he'll do. Quite honestly, otherwise, what's the point of following? My heart hurts for the rich young ruler, but perhaps I hurt for him, quite honestly, because as I prepared for today, I think he represents so many of our Christians today. We may give Jesus our Sundays. We may give Jesus our Wednesdays. We may give Jesus our marriage and our family. But maybe there's something that hasn't been totally given to him. There's just something that's held back that we're holding on to because, quite honestly, we fear what might happen if we surrender. And for a great number of us, that's our finances. That's our money. That's our security blanket. But for others, maybe it's something else. Something that we hold on to instead of surrendering. Something we simply just don't want to give up because of fear because of doubt, because of worry, that if we give that up, 
He will not meet our needs. Maybe there's something that we're holding on to that just being quite honest, we're saying, I value this more than you. And that's hard to process at times, but that's just the reality. When our actions speak louder than our words. I'm not gonna give this up because I value this more than you. We continue to live out areas of our lives that we wanna control, that we wanna manage, and we don't wanna surrender. That can and does include finance. But there are other areas just as relevant. Areas of our lives that we choose to go down our own way instead of surrendering to truth, to God's word and his plan. And I want to kind of pause on that, and this is actually where we're going to kind of land. So David, praise team, if you guys want to come up, we're going to kind of meditate on this for a while as we kind of close. You see, a lot in this church, we don't, we don't, we don't necessarily preach on tithing. I told you I wasn't going to be the gist of my message this morning. We're not, we're not going to preach on tithing. But we do teach tithing because we want to be a sold-out body of believers. We collectively want to show that we're sold out to kingdom first, totally committed. But this morning, maybe we find ourselves struggling like the rich young ruler. Maybe we look at our finances, we go, but I worked so hard for it. Well, I want to encourage you this morning that every good and perfect gift is from the Father. Maybe you're thinking, but I have financial commitments. I encourage you that God is the ultimate provider. But what if he doesn't provide? If he didn't, that would make him a liar and God cannot lie. Maybe not how we would want or we would desire or we would choose, but he will. He will provide. And so we have a choice to make whether we fully surrender every area of our life. Total commitment to Jesus results in life to the full. But it means having to let go of some things that hold dear to you. I want to challenge you this morning. Think of those areas. If it's finance, great. As I prepared this message, I couldn't help but get this out of my head, so I'm just going to go with it and say it. Maybe you're holding on to something that brings you comfort or joy other than him. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe you use drugs or alcohol to kind of dull some type of pain that you have. Maybe he's asking for you to surrender that and come to him for peace and comfort. Maybe you're choosing something that you think is a better way of being able to satisfy your physical desires. Maybe that's a relationship, you know, a physical relationship with somebody outside of the bounds of marriage. You're choosing that over choosing him. We've seen time and time again in this world that we live in addictions to pornography. Maybe that's, your, maybe that's what you need to surrender. Maybe you're going, you know, that's, I'm, I need that to bring me, me satisfaction. I need that to bring me joy, to bring me whatever. You know, I'm going to choose that over your plan, your desire, your everything. So that's, I'm talking this morning not just about finances. I'm saying, what is it in your life? That's between you and him. But I felt like that's where he wanted me to put this this morning. 
That's where I want to land this this morning. We've gone through a lot of topics this month that we land on finances. But I don't want this just to be about finances. I want it to be about your heart. Seek first. First things first. Is heed the priority this morning. And so I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to go ahead and worship team will, will lead us, and there'll be some prayer team members that come up um, after the first song. But I, I want to encourage you this morning, between you and God, sit before him. Examine your heart. Get real with him. If he's been talking to you about something you've not surrendered, I challenge you this morning, surrender it. Give it to him. He's worthy of it. You can trust him with it. Because I assure you, he's more than able. So Father God, we come to you this morning. Thankful for your word. Thankful that your word speaks in areas of our lives that this world gives a conflicting message to. But you give us truth. Father, when that truth is given to us, help us to make a choice with it. Help us to choose your way, your path, your obedience to you. And whatever that is, Father, some real hard things that, you know, this world throws at us that are tempting, that can be a distraction for us. If we've given in to those instead of giving in to you, if we put those over you, Father, we just ask for, for forgiveness this morning. And because you're a good father, you're, you'll forgive. And you'll welcome us home. Father, help us to be able to get out of the way sometimes of our own thoughts. Help us to not give in to the lie of the enemy that that's not for us. That promise isn't for us. That plan isn't for us. Your word isn't for us. It's not trust. We can't trust it anymore. Oh, Father, may we, may we so richly fall in love with your word. And may it shape every aspect of our life. Every thought, every deed, every action. Every. And so I, I ask that this morning, Jesus. Take our every. Take our every. Everything for everyone. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope today's message has been a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you would like more information, you can find us at www.cobblestonechurch.com. Have a great week and God bless.